0: Happy Mother's Day, as was mentioned. and real encouraging verse that I, that I really like, um, the, the impact and influence of Mother. Second Timothy 1:5 says, it talks about Timothy, right? We know Paul, we know Timothy. Uh, do you know Eunice and Lois? Yeah. You know them too, right? So verse five, second Timothy chapter one says, "When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, that's Timothy which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. So these powerful women of God and of faith. And so don't don't ever underestimate your influence as, as a mother and the power of prayer. Um, you've heard of John Charles Wesley. Do you know Suzanne Wesley? A woman of powerful prayer. You've heard of Chuck Smith. Do you know Maud Smith? Chuck Smith's mother. How about... Uh, Monica, the weeping mother, you know who that is? The mother of St. Augustine of Hippo, right? So, so she prayed and wept for her son to come to faith. So, so sometimes these obscure uh, folks in the Bible, or, or in, uh, in our, our, I would say, heroes of faith, had great mothers that you know, prayed for them and supported them. Uh, Marl Graham, yes. Billy Graham's mother. Uh, Billy Graham has said, Of all people I've ever known, she had the greatest influence on me. I'm sure that one reason that the Lord has directed and safeguarded me as well as Ruth and the children through the years was the prayers of my mother and father. Whenever he spoke of his time at college, as Billy, he always spoke of her daily praying every morning for him and what that meant to his ministry. Marl Graham's faithfulness in the small acts of prayer and family devotion was essential to the faith of her son and has led to many coming to faith. So don't underestimate your power or influence. So we've been talking in John, 1 John. Okay, the theme of our section is God's love for us, working in us to love others, to love Him. And this is a work of the Spirit of God. always want to remember that. It's a work of God's love. Okay, what is this love? In, In... Greek, we have three different words. We have um, love, be, can be translated phileo, can be translated eros or agape. So it's important to remember when we're talking about this love, we're talking about agape love. So it's not phileo like, I love pizza, that would be like, I, I have a strong liking for. Or eros, that's like, sort of like that lustful slash romantic kind of, you know, you're, you, you're enamored with somebody's beauty, that kind of love. This is different this is agape, and if you want the definition for that, you go to first uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen, uh, which gives a definition love is patient, love is kind it is not self seeking does not boast, is not proud it's not arrogant it's it serves others right that kind of love is what we're talking about so in this section we're talking about uh, god is is expressing this idea of being perfected in his love, and that word per- per- perfect or perfected is not the idea of completeness or maturity so we're, we're trying to grow in this area and it's important to remember that this is a work of the spirit uh, that agape love honestly I I teach seventh grade middle school uh, math about 105 students right there are days where I, I go in there I, I really don't have this love this is not this is not a natural love this is not something that you know I go in there and I'm like you know I'm just dying to love these kids and you know, I'm just dying to be, you know, just patient with them. That, no, naturally, I'm impatient. I'm easily frustrated. They get on my nerves. That's, that's from my flesh, right? This kind of love has to come from God. It, it's a work of the Spirit. Um, it's a spiritual work. And so we shouldn't be surprised if that love is not found in us naturally. That's very clear from Scripture that in and of myself, there is no good thing in and of my flesh. Okay? I'm not capable of this love. We're not capable of this love. This is something that comes from God. So I'd be, as we're learning, you know, what's the, what's the evidence that you know, we're perfected in God's love? How do we know we're growing in God's love? And so I would like to read the context because the verse that I'm doing today or covering or going over, um, you, we, we don't want to pull it out of context. So let's look at kind of what we're, what we're doing here, what we've been talking about. So, go to 1 John 4. Let's go back to 12, um, verse 12. 1 John 4, verse 12. Let's see, i got to get there. You guys are probably already there. Okay, so here we go. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. Notice that word. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has, seen the Son, has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, That we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So, what are the evidences that we are being perfected in God's love? So, these are some of the things we've gone over. Um, One of the evidences is that you'll love other people. You'll have the Holy Spirit, the seal of assurance. You will easily confess that Jesus is God because that is where that love comes from. You'll abide in God. You'll believe in his love for us. And as we're going to talk about today, you'll have boldness in the day of judgment. You won't have fear. The opposite of fear, you'll have trust. You'll have peace about God's future plan for you. So those are some evidences in living In God's love. So you see here in verse 17 and 18, where mostly 18, but 17, 18, where I'm going to camp out today, we see some new words introduced judgment, fear, torment, and then we see that contrasted with things like boldness, confidence, trust. Okay? So someone who is mature and complete in God's love is going to demonstrate this confidence, boldness, trust, courage. So that's what we're talking about today. So let's talk about fear. Now, fear, in the biological sense, has some benefit, right? But overall, it's insufficient as the driver of our lives. It's infant, insufficient as a foundation by which to lay our, our relationship with God upon. We, we can't lay our foundation upon fear in our relationship to, to God. It's not a good motivator, as we interact with the world around us. And, and why, why is that? Okay, why is fear insufficient? Okay, so there's a couple points. So I'm going to go through this carefully. This is what we're going to talk about today. Fear robs us of the joy of living, the rewards of trying, the confidence that comes from trusting, and the sense behind rational decision-making. Okay, so again, robs us of the joy of living, rewards us of, robs us of the rewards of trying, steals our confidence in trusting, and takes away that, that rational sense, right? It makes us decide and do things that just are not good. So let's, like, why is this? Why is this? When we're, when we're driven by fear, we're controlled by it, we're crippled by it, and we demonstrate the fruits of fear. One of the, so fear, the Greek word is for fear, phobia, right? So we have all kinds of phobias. So a, a study was done in 2015. They interview, you know, uh, the university. A uh, university interviewed, you know, some 1,000 people, and they have them rank their fears. So at that time, right, uh, or 2005, I should say, you know, we have a list of some fears. The top one, public speaking. Oof! See you. I'm out of here. <laughs> see you later. Um, on that list, we also have heights, fear of heights, bugs, snakes. I hate snakes. Um, clowns. It's kind of interesting. Ghosts. So what's the problem with it? Why is why does this rob us of living? Well, when it becomes to a degree where it you change your behavior because of an irrational fear. You you don't live. You change your plans because you can't. Like so one of them on a different list, fear of open spaces. You you can't go out because you have a fear of open spaces. So this fear it can become very dominating, and you have, you avoid you could avoid potentially beneficial situations, and so we're not we're not living the joy of living life to its fullest. Um, you might have. You know, some other fears, you know, that cripple us, right? Fear of failure. We never try because we're afraid we're going we're gonna to make a mistake, we're going to mess up. The fear of trust, right? We, we, it affects our trust in God. If we're constantly fearing, and, and our relationship with God is based on some kind of legalistic sort of interaction with God, we're never going to come to that point of trust and peace and confidence. We might fear the future. We might fear his plans, all right? Also, fear can lead to bad decisions. We know in certain um, crises, right, certain people in a crisis freeze. So fear can cause you to slam on the brakes when you need to be active doing something. It's the crisis paralysis. And so that can happen, a paralysis from fear. Um, And one of the things about fear that's, that's interesting is that our fear is often disproportionate to the risk, and that's where our mind plays tricks on us. For example, we, we fear a perceived threat more than it is an actual threat. Just a small example would be um, fear of flying. Now, many people have a fear of flying. They perceive the risk of flying to be greater than driving, but statistically... Driving is far more dangerous than flying. So sometimes because of fear, we put ourselves from a safer situation into something more dangerous. So fear can drive us to do things that aren't actually um, good or healthy. So some of those fears, you know, fear of bugs and all those things, all right, they might not dominate our lives. We might kind of joke about them, think, think they're kind of funny, but there are some real legitimate fears that I think in the past couple of years, you know, this study was done again, same study, uh, Chapman University Survey of American Fears in 2021. They interviewed a th- over 1,000 people ranking their fears, and some of the top ones that came up more recently were corrupt government officials, 79% either are afraid or very afraid. People I love dying, that's, I mean, that's a legitimate fear in some ways. A loved one contracting the coronavirus, right? Becoming seriously ill, biological warfare, cyberterrorism. So what's interesting is there's always going to be a new thing to fear in the future. There's always, you know, now it's coronavirus. Tomorrow it's going to be something else. It's, there's always some legitimate reason to fear in some ways. Um, some of these threats are maybe perceived. Some of them could be actual. So what's the solution? What do we do about this? What, what's the answer? Um, one thing that we can do is trade a perception for a reality. What's, what's, what are the actual true threats to each of us? So I'll give you an example. I hate snakes. I'm afraid of snakes. Okay? But one of the things that... Like, I used to kill them on sight. Dead on sight. <laughs> I love gardening. If I see a snake, it's like something about them. They're creepy. They writhe around. They just don't look very trustworthy. Something about them. I just don't like them. And they put off a musky smell if you touch them. right? So something about them I just don't, don't like. And so one of the things that I learned in Rhode Island is there's, there's, there aren't poisonous snakes in Rhode Island. So knowledge can help to alleviate some of the fear that we have so once I learned that now when I see them, you know I can pick them up with gloves and put them somewhere else so I don't, they don't have to bother me so that's one example of a strategy knowledge you know learning about something can help us to not be afraid of it we fear the unknown we fear things we don't understand the second thing what I would say with that knowledge uh, biblical knowledge, right? Trading biblical knowledge for a perception of reality or a feeling I might have, okay? So, the other thing is in the, in, the verse, um, in verse 18, 1 John 4:18. there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. So understanding God's love, his love for me, his love at work in me, can crowd out that fear, okay? Who do you hang out with? Or, more grammatically correct, with whom do you hang? Uh, whom do you, with whom do you hang? Who do you spend time with? Do you ever notice when you're, I don't know, I think this is maybe when you're a teenager, um, sometimes you have different groups of friends, and sometimes it's awkward if you have a birthday party or some event, and the, this friend that represents this certain side of your personality is with this other friend who represents a different side of your personality, and they might not get along. And that's part of growing up. You're trying to discover who you are. Do you ever notice that? And so fear is not a very good friend. Okay? It comes in, it it can dominate, it wants to drive our lives. Now, if you have love, is that if you're dwelling with love and love is in the picture, it's going to drive out that fear. It cannot, they can't coexist. If I understand God's love for me, and I have that trust. Him, I know that he has my best intentions in mind. I can trust him with my future. I can trust him with my current circumstances, and it will cause me to do things for others, out of a love for them, rather than you know fearing some consequence. So that's that's an answer. So what is now? We come go back to the idea of knowledge. Knowledge helps us to know, you know, that these fears maybe are irrational, what is the one thing we probably should fear It's the biggest threat facing us all? Death. Statistically speaking, one out of every one person dies. So ironically, on that list in 2001, death was like number 47 or something. It was like down there on the list. So in a way, we're fearing these things we shouldn't. And then death actually uh, is something that if you don't know the Lord if you don't have a relationship with Him, that is something to fear. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 says, And it is appointed for men to die once, and after this the judgment. So you can approach God in two ways. You can approach Him in your own merit, your own good deeds, your own good works, and if you want to die and face God in that judgment, standing on your own, lining up your good deeds and, you know, he reveals every hidden secret of your heart. If you want to do that, good, yeah, good, good luck. It, right? We, we know. We, we know, obviously, that that is not where... I'm not standing in that. Um, or we can stand in God's love demonstrated on the cross. Mm-hmm. That is a much more secure foundation. That's where I'm standing. So, in this case, it says... Um, we have boldness, uh, verse 17, we have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so we are in the world. There's no fear in love. So we have this boldness and confidence. It's not a confidence in in my works, my deeds, my good nature. Um, It's a confidence in what God has has done. Um, So yes, some people should fear because they don't have salvation. They don't have their sins forgiven. Now, on the opposite side of that, we can have confidence. Um, John five twenty four. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So that's where I'm standing. So that perfect love, this love that God has for us, drives out fear, because as it says, fear, fear deals with ter- torment. Another version says punishment. Okay, I don't have to worry about my accounts before God, my accounts before God are settled. My debt has been paid. I can trust and have confidence. And what's interesting is when we live in that love, understanding that love, what happens as a result? As I understand His love for me, I gain a greater appreciation for Him. And I do things, not out of fear of being, you know, tormented, but... Out of a genuine appreciation, out of a worship, out of a reverence, out of a desire to please Him. That's where that love, that's the idea of a mature love. Your relationship is based on um, what He's done for us. We're responding. It produces humility. I'm not looking, if I understand that love, I'm not looking to go for God's grace as a license to go out and sin. It, it grieves your heart when you sin when you understand that love it should right that's that's the idea so love this love drives out the fear understanding my accounts are settled now like i said this love doesn't come naturally it's not something you know it's it's a knowledge in my brain i i understand that but it's also a work of the spirit so so a good prayer, speaking of Mother's Day and praying for your kids and praying, this is something I pray for myself and this is something you can pray for others. Um, because this is a spiritual work, because this is something that doesn't come naturally, some great prayers in the Bible, this is one of the, the best that I really enjoy. It says in Ephesians three seventeen through 19, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So this is a complete, you know, you have the four dimensions here, you know, uh, length, depth, breadth, height, you know, all those things. That's a complete understanding of God's love, and that is something that, as it says here, it's, we're filled with God's love. It's something He has to put in us, um, in a work of the Spirit, So something that's interesting about trust and about love and being grounded in this is children babies when they're born they don't have a natural sense of fear. That's not something that they get until they're about 8 to 10 months and they start to fear strangers. You know they get they get strange they say. Um, so at, you know the first couple of months they don't you know, like they smile at everything. They're having a good time and then all of a sudden they realize that there are strangers so they they start to get a little fearful. But it was interesting in studying this and looking up, um, there's been some studies that the children don't demonstrate that fear quite as much when they're being held by a parent. So it's this idea of trust. And I think that when we, th- we think of ourselves as children of God resting in Him, you know that's, that's an important thing to kind of highlight. Uh, Romans 8.15 says, "...you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear." But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba Father. So there's a sense of security in our relationship with God is going to help us feel secure in this this world we live, even when challenging things are, are around us. So how we approach God for salvation is similar to how we approach Him for daily living. We trust Him for our salvation, can we trust Him for our future, for our lives, for our you know our current circumstances and there's an issue here of contentment i'm content i'm satisfied in his plan for me i'm satisfied i don't have to fear struggle strive wrestle with all those things i'm content now one fear that i struggle with and i think about is this idea of suffering i i don't want to suffer that's not something i enjoy it's not something i look forward to I look at this world around me, and I see the climate in which we live. When we stand up for God, we may face persecution. You read about it in other places. We have a pretty comfortable life here in America as Christians, but it's something that I think about. It's a fear that is there. It's there. So, I, when I think about suffering, I have to go back and look at, you know, what does what does God say about that? So. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And when I think of people like, speaking of lions, Daniel in the lion's den, okay, he faced the lions. He prayed three times when the law was to only pray to, you know, the, the king. But he didn't. He prayed to God three times, was thrown into the den with the lion's. And he didn't fear. And that's a great example of trust. Uh, Stephen. Now, Stephen was, we know, filled with the Holy Spirit. He was chosen for the job that, um, to wait on tables because he had you know, these evidence filled with the Holy Spirit. So God was with him. But what's interesting was when he was stoned to death, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So he had this agape love for his enemies that didn't come from himself. So, so God is at work even when we're in these situations. And God gives us grace to face the thing we're in. And one of the things that, in kind of thinking about this, um, God makes available the grace you need for the persecution that you face at that time. God doesn't give me the grace to face your struggle. That's your struggle. It's personal to you. So I don't necessarily have the grace to deal with that suffering until it comes. God will give that grace when needed. And that's kind of some, a way that he, just in studying this, kind of reassured me. I have grace to face my struggle. I don't have grace to face the struggle of somebody else. But as time goes on and we see God's faithfulness, we know if he's faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful in the future. So I don't have to worry. That helps me takes away that fear of the future. What if I'm persecuted in the future? What if I have to face these challenges? The grace that I need is here, right now, for the things I face. How about the fear of man? The fear of man is a snare, the Bible says. And if you think about fear, most of these fears are temporary, right? Fear of embarrassment, fear of others' opinions, fear I'm going to look foolish, Okay, those fears don't really, um, they're not going to last. Those are temporary things. Now our eternal destination, that's permanent. And we do have loved ones around us, and we might fear, you know, them perishing. So what's the answer to that? Well, if we're found in God's love, if we're mature in God's love, we understand God's love for us, the natural result of that is we're going to want to share that love with others. the times when I try to force evangelism, I try to, you know, feel guilty, or I feel guilty about when well, I didn't share my faith with my coworkers or, you know, my neighbors. Okay, that's not really effective. It's not a motivator. Whereas the times when I just sense God's love for me and His love for mankind, His love for others around me, that is a greater motivator. It it affects me. It causes me to want to share this love because it's meaningful to me personally. And again, that's a work of the Spirit. Our lives are an aroma. So if we're found in God's love, we're maturing in His love, the people around us are going to sense that. They're going to smell that aroma. What is your life's aroma? Is it um, a representation of the gospel? We are written epistles. Those around us read God's story in our lives. And so that's kind of something that um, is important, right? Our understanding of God's love for us is the catalyst for evangelism, right? So let's look at parent, parent-child relationships. So one of the things in meditating on this, thinking about this, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So think about a parent-child relationship. I, just out of curiosity, I just to see what would happen i told Varick this week i said from now on when i come home from work i want a hug as soon as i get in the door or else you're punished <laughs> and he he looked at me like this and he said are you serious so you know even he even a child recognizes the absurdity of a relationship that is based only on fear and intimidation because here's the thing you might fear a consequence and you might let's say it's your boss let's say it's a teacher and a student like I'm a teacher Listen, (laughs) though they can pretend like they're following the rules very well as soon as you turn your back they're throwing paper making fun of you drawing pictures of you I mean so if I teach in that way if I have a relationship with my students based on intimidation based on fear I can. it's effective to a degree. I can get them to do things, but they they don't truly love me. They don't truly respond out of a genuine, heartfelt respect, kindness, or love for me. And it's getting worse because you can yell at kids now in school, and I hear them, the other teachers, I'm like, Lord, help me to have agape because this is like, I'm right there with them. You know, it's very easy now. Nowadays, too, they just do things. They get under your skin. They, they, they're disrespectful. So I hear the other teachers yelling, right? What I found in my experience with uh, teaching middle school, grade 7, is that those kids know whether you love them. They know whether you respect them. Now, in the past, we might have been able to say, as a teacher, I don't have to earn your respect. You, re- you respect me because, I'm, because of the authority of my office. It doesn't quite work so well anymore. But what I found is when I have agape, love, for them, when in a moment I show them grace when I could you know, punish them, come down hard on them, that actually goes a lot further. And they respect me a lot more in the end. I don't have to raise my voice. And so even in a situation like that, a student-teacher relationship, we can see that love is a much more powerful motivator How about employees and employers? Right, you you know, if the boss is away, do you still do what you're supposed to do? Or do you fear, or when the boss is there, you do what you're supposed to do because you fear the consequence of getting punished? Now, if you love your boss or you love in that situation, it's gonna cause you much greater loyalty, much greater motivation, um, much more powerful and compelling activity. Right? So we can kind of see this in relationships. You can't force love from your kids. What's the most meaningful right, is when they acknowledge you did something for them, you, you showed your love for them, and they spontaneously love you back. Like, we went to the 5K. That wasn't planned, um, but we went. And so it was kind of funny yesterday. So we get home. Everybody goes inside. He's getting out of the van, and he gives me a hug, and he says, Thanks, Dad, for taking us to the 5K, you know, because um, he got to do the little kid's dash. And so that is much more meaningful to me than, than, than anything forced, right? So we look at our, our love for our parents, the relationship we have with our parents. As time goes on, you hope that your relationship with your parents matures to the point where I'm not worried about them giving me the rod, right? I got, I'm f- quite familiar with the rod growing up. There's a point where you start to Respect them and do things for them because you love and care for them, not because you're afraid to be to get that punishment. Okay, so so we can kind of look at those, analyze those relationships. The last thing I want to talk about is the fear of the Lord. Okay. What about the fear of the Lord? Isn't that something that we should be concerned about? We talked about that. Um, shouldn't we be concerned about the fear of the Lord? Shouldn't we? So should we fear the Lord or be afraid of Him? Should we like Adam Hyde? Or run to him. So you kind of have to think about what's the fruit of that fear. If the fruit of the fear that you have for God is terror, dread, and hiding, then that's that's not the right kind of fear, right? If you're if that if the fruit of that fear of God is an acknowledgement of his authority, his majesty, his awe, okay you're in all of him and it results in obedience then that's the kind of fear we're looking for proverbs 3 7 and 8 and proverbs 3 25 and 26 kind of contrasts these two ideas very well so proverbs 3 two kinds of fear here it can be translated two different ways in the bible so I, I think when you're looking at in that certain section, what's the context of the fear? What results because of that fear? Is it reverence all? Is it crippling? Is it, you know, you're not doing something God wants you to do because, you're, because of fear? You know, you kind of look at the result. So Proverbs 3, see if you can guess which one's which here. Proverbs 3, 7, and 8. It says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Was it a positive fear or negative? That's, that's a positive, right? And then if we go on further, verse 25 says, do not be afraid of sudden terror nor of trouble when the wicked comes for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. So that idea of being afraid of sudden terror, good fear, bad fear. That's the negative, right? We don't have to fear sudden terror. We know God has things under control. He's in charge. He's in control. So this idea of being perfected in God's love, again, going back to uh, 1 John. Oh, and Hebrews up there. Hebrews 12, 28, 29. You can write that down. Kind of look at that later. That's another one that sort of expresses this idea of fearing the Lord and what that means. So maturity in our relationships happens in stages. I think in the beginning, when I, when I didn't know God growing up, I had a fear, sort of a dread of God. I feared breaking His commandments. I feared going to hell. I feared all these things. When I came to know God's love and who He is in spirit, in experience, not just in word or in a, a academic idea, when I came to know Him, my love for Him matured. And it's something that continues to need to be cultivated because we, 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 we waffle in this, in this area. We don't always have a mature love. It's not perfect and then that's it. it I don't know about you, but for me, it's, it's something I need to constantly go back to. Do I, am I loving God? Am I in His love? Do I understand His love? Am I loving others? It's a constant thing. Is my response from a heart of love and worship so it's, a, it's, a th- it's something that needs to be cultivated. So a perfect love will lead to proper fear of God, but a deliverance from the crippling power of irrational fear. We can have confidence in our salvation, assurance that we're not going to face judgment. God already put his judgment on Jesus on the cross. I don't have to worry about that. I'm assured of my salvation Because of that assurance, I'm assured of my future. My future is in his hands. I don't have to worry about suffering. I can be content even if I face suffering. His grace will be there in the time that I need it. And I can trust and know that based on example, based on my experience with him in the past. I'm going to have a fear of God that is based in a reverence and respect and awe. I don't obey God's commandments because I'm afraid He's going to strike me dead. For example, why do I not use the Lord's name in vain? Why do I not use His name as a swear word? Why, do, why? Is it because I'm afraid He'll get revenge on me and strike me down with some punishment or misfortune? No, it's because Jesus, my Savior, He died for me. He gave it all for me. Why would I ever want to use His name in such a way? That is the motivator. Love is a stronger motivator. I want to honor his name and let that be the driving force of our obedience to God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, I have to admit I don't always understand completely or fully uh, your love for me. It's something that we need Your, your the work of your spirit. We need the power of your Spirit working in us to comprehend and understand the height, depth, width, breadth of your love. So help us, Lord, forgive us when we don't understand that, when we doubt you. Um, Lord, we pray for this love to be at work in us to love others with agape love. People at work, our children, our parents, our enemies. Uh, Lord, help us to be like those in the Bible in the past, like Stephen, like Daniel, who could say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That that love would be an evidence in our lives that You would work that love in us. uh, Not on our own, but through Your power. So we just ask for Your love. Lord, I just pray that we would not have fear of the future. There are many things going on around us that are legitimate worries and help us to have all those things crowded out by your love that your love would crowd out all of the legitimate fears and that we would be an example of courage and boldness in this world so that people might want to turn to you knowing that you take care of them you are a good father and so thank you that you take care of us help us to trust you to walk with you and to be um, more perfect in your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, everybody.